Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Mission Church. Listen, I am so honored to be with you this morning, and uh, I'm excited to be in your household or wherever you're tuning in from. Just want to thank you. Make sure you let us know you're here. Say hello in the chat. Uh, We're so grateful uh, that you chose to spend your morning with us. Well, listen, um, I got to tell you, Mission Church, what God is doing here, it's so special and it's so supernatural. And we're just excited to be a part of it as, as Fountain Church, my wife and I, my family. And, uh, and I was praying for you this week, and the passage in Luke chapter 19 came to my mind where the Lord says, if you're faithful with one city, I'll give you 10. And I just truly believe that as God put a vision inside of Pastor Tyler and Pastor Rachel's heart uh, to plant this church, you guys were planted in a moment a couple of years ago, but I believe your legacy is a movement that God is going to expand your influence, that God is gonna continue to move um, both in a special way, but also a supernatural way. So I just wanna encourage you guys, listen, don't just get comfortable. This is not normal, so don't get comfortable, but rather stay connected, whatever that looks like. Get into a small group, make sure you stay connected online. Um, Even during some of these uh, crazy times, don't get distracted, stay connected, because God is on the move. And speaking of special and speaking of supernatural, man, you cannot use those two words without talking about your pastors. Now, your pastors are something special to us. We love them. They're our friends. And uh, I know that guest speakers, you might think that the normal thing is just to say some nice things about them. But can I just tell you that I can do that with a clear conscience uh, because I know them. They are the real deal. In fact, if you're going to spend some time with your pastors, you guys know this better than I do. But let me just tell you a little bit about my experience is number one, you're going to have some fun. You're going to laugh. You're going to probably cry because you've been laughing so hard. You're going to have a great time. There's going to be a moment in the conversation where you get some vision. And uh, you're going to be inspired to change the world. You're going to be inspired to be on mission uh, for Jesus. And you're never going to meet a couple who loves Jesus and is more passionate about people than your pastors. And so Pastor Tyler, Pastor Rachel, we love you. We honor you today. And uh, so grateful um, that you're letting me speak into your house. Listen, we're going to jump into God's word. And I want to speak to you today a little bit around this idea of the table is set. So just shout it out right now, right where you're at. The table is set. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. Lord, I just pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. God, we want to encounter you in a real way. I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, all you want to show us, God, all you want to speak to us, and I pray that we would leave our time transformed more and more into your image, Jesus, and your precious name, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, I want to point your attention to the table because I think the table, uh, it has a lot of different meaning to many of us, right? The table means something different to all of us. Some of us, we grew up and and we never sat at the dinner table. We never had a a good experience at the table, right? Uh, Maybe your your, uh, childhood consisted of TV dinners and TV trays or eating in front of the television. And then some of us, we've had some great memories at the table, right? We we think back on our childhood and, and we remember those moments after school or the table was set and dinner was ready. I think for some, the, the table has been a place of loneliness. It's kind of a reminder that, that uh, I don't have anybody in my life. Or if you're single, maybe you sit at the table, but it's by yourself. And it brings a, a little bit of uncomfortability and a reminder of what you don't have. I think for, for some of us, we, we have this, uh, we've had this experience of growing up and the table was full of tension. 
It was a table of strife. It was a, a table of arguing. Some of us, it was a, it was a table of silence. And so, so if you don't really know much about the table, if you didn't experience the table, then you might not know what you're missing out. And I know for some of us, the table has been sacred, but for me, it's been both. Like, I know how it feels. I grew up with a single parent mom and my mom worked in San Francisco. I grew up in the East Bay. And so my mom wouldn't get home till about 7.30 at night. So I, I understood beanie weenies and cup of noodles, right? I would come home and it was, it was I had to fend for myself. I would sit in front of the TV or whatever the case would be. And it would be by myself for a lot of occasions. Now, there was always the holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, where uh, we would get together birthdays, where we would spend some time together at the table. But I know how it feels to be in both scenarios. And I, I want to, to kind of fast forward a little bit because now I'm a dad. And I was looking at our table the other day and our table is a little bit more complex now uh, because I got three kiddos. I got, I got a, uh, three daughters, eight, six, and three. Let me give you uh, a quick little picture of my family there. Uh, my beautiful wife, Jackie, uh, my oldest daughter, Olivia. This is my middle child, Abigail, and my little baby girl, Hannah. And, uh, and our table can get a little bit complex at this point. It gets a little bit messy. Right, I grew up and my parents or my mom told me that, uh, that you shouldn't make a mess at the table. Uh, but I tell our kids, you can make a mess and you can bring your mess to the table. The table is a place for the mess. Now, we don't encourage you know, them just to like go crazy at the table, but you know what I'm saying. We want them to feel comfortable at the table. We want them to feel comfortable dialoguing at the table. And so, so the table can be a little bit messy for us. It can be a little bit complicated. And we want to teach our kids the importance of the table. But we just don't want to teach them like the importance of manners, which is important because we don't want to go into restaurants and have our kids embarrass us and all that good stuff. Uh, we don't want to just teach them to sit down at the table because they're supposed to. But rather, we want to teach them the potential of the table. We want them to see the vision of the table, the possibilities of what God can do at the table. Now, I think the table is, it's, it's shrinking in our culture, right? I think it's shrinking in both size and purpose. Shout out to Ikea. And I think it's, it's shrinking in size because uh, a lot of the dwellings that we have now, they're getting smaller and smaller. And so we can't fit as big of a table. But I also think it's shrinking in purpose where we don't have a lot of time to host people. We don't have a lot of time today because of our fast pace and work and life and school and sports and all these different things. I know a lot of that has been shut down over the last uh, little bit of time during COVID. But, but even during COVID, uh, I think we've learned that just because things have ceased that doesn't equal rest. It's like we're still busy even in the midst of being in shelter in place and all this stuff. And so I think it's been lacking a little bit in purpose because we just don't have time for the table as much anymore. We, we don't necessarily want to spend the money to have tons of people come over and, and host them and all these different things. And so I think it's been shrinking a little bit in size, but also in purpose. In fact, Starbucks, Starbucks built their entire culture around the table. Now, if you walk into Starbucks, uh, you're going you're gonna to smell the coffee. You're going to see the, the deep tones of paint. Uh, you're going to have some ambient music in the background. The lighting is going to be dim because they want you to experience something that is special. They want you to experience what it's like to sit down and have a lengthy conversation over a cup of coffee uh, with somebody special in your life, right? That was the whole culture of Starbucks. But they started to realize that people aren't sitting as much anymore. And they're coming, they're getting their coffee and they're leaving. And so they started to experiment with drive-throughs. They thought, man, it's working for other fast food. Maybe we should try it. And so they started experimenting with drive-throughs. And what they found out was now that 70% of the business comes through the drive-through. So every store that has a drive-through now, 70% of the business 
Meaning people don't want to come in and sit. They don't have the time. They don't have the space. They're on the go. In fact, there was a consultant for Starbucks, and this is what he said. He said, most of the people that were going in there were going in and out, Cook added. Things have changed. Everybody is more into this ease, convenience, and speed. And so I would just propose to you, I wonder if we're losing something special. As small as this may seem, right? I wonder if we're losing special because I don't think it's by coincidence or I don't think it's by accident that God created two things that we desperately need and the table provides a setting for both of them. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The two things are food and relationships. Like God has created food and relationships and the table is a place for both of those things. Like we have a desire for food, like our body needs to be fueled. Uh, We all have that desire. And we also have this deep longing for connection. We have this deep longing for community and the table provides a setting for both. And, And I think this is huge. This is so big that Jesus even identifies himself as the bread of life. He said that anybody who comes to me will never hunger and those who believe in me will never thirst. Now, I don't know if we completely understand the importance and the validity of the table, but I'm hoping I'm hoping that in our time together that you'll start to see it in a different way. I don't know if we really understand how much the table has impacted the world. In fact, there's been a lot of money spent on trying to discover this mystery, the mystery of the Jewish people. In fact, there are about 14 million Jewish people on the planet, which is really an insignificant number compared to the rest of the population. There's like 0.002% Jewish people. Now, that would have been a lot more if it wasn't for the Holocaust um, and the genocide there uh, during uh, Hitler's reign. But, but with that insignificant number, they have made such a huge impact on the world, on your life, on my life. And so millions of dollars has been spent to try to figure out, man, what's the secret? Now, now we could say, hey, they're God's chosen people. God is sovereign, and I wouldn't argue with that. But there was also some things that research has found that that kind of pointed to some of the success. I mean, the success is huge. When it comes to Nobel Peace Prizes, 30 to 40 percentile um, are the Jewish people. Pulitzer Prizes, 25 to 30 percent. Patents, uh, 40 to 50 percent when it comes to human achievement, innovation, medical and technology. And so all these millions of dollars went in to figure out, man, what is the mystery? How in the world are, are they doing this? And all of the research pointed to one of their most holiest moments of the week. And it wasn't in the synagogue. It was at the table. It was at the table. See, the interesting thing about the Jewish table, now I know that everybody does not grow up in a Jewish Orthodox home, so I'm not throwing every Jewish person into this particular category. But, but when they did this homework, one of the, some of the, the significant things about the Jewish table, it's, it's really fascinating. One of the things I love is that, that the kids don't sit at a separate table that the kids actually sit with the adults. They don't sit with like a little table off to the side. They sit with the adults and the the matriarchs and the patriarchs and the elders would tell stories uh, on the Sabbath day. They would would sing songs. And in this culture, they would say that you don't know the story or you can't even tell the story until you can see yourself in Moses' shoes as he's staring Pharaoh in the eyes or to see yourself in David's shoes as he's stepping onto the Valley of Elah to face Goliath, or, or Esther as she's facing the king. They said, you don't even truly know the story of the scriptures until you can put yourself in the middle of it. And so, so here they have the, the food and the preparation on the Sabbath, and we could spend a lot of time talking about the preparation of the food and, and the stories and the song, but then comes the questions. 
They invite the kids to, to bring challenging questions to the table, uh, debate, right? Like Jonah being swallowed by a fish. How was that possible? And they welcome all of the questions because they believe that nothing or no opposition or no question is too hard for the scriptures to answer. And so you just see that this beautiful tapestry being woven and it's at the table that these children's hearts and, and minds and imaginations and identities are being formed. And what the study and the research shown is that when they get older, they don't have to search as a teenager for who they are, but rather they're asking, how do I change the world? How can I innovate? What can I create to change the globe? Now, another important fact about the table and studies have shown that if your child sits at the table three times a week for dinner, that they are more likely to skyrocket in their success in high school and college. Come on, all the parents, look at your kids tonight, say so you're sitting at the table. And so, so I, I, I want you to see the, the beauty of this. I want you to see the beauty of, of the table, that, that the table is life-giving. That, that all the convos and the singing and the challenging and, and, and our, their bodies being fueled, relationships being built, it's no surprise that God shows up at tables. In fact, we look in Acts chapter two. I love this passage. It says, in all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. You know, I think it's interesting that we focus a lot on prayer in this passage. Uh, we focus a lot um, on being devoted to the apostles' teaching. But, but what about the spiritual discipline of sharing in meals, fellowship? I think that one kind of gets put on the back burner. And, and I know a lot of it has to do with our pace. It has to do with the demands on our life, the complexity. I know it's hard sometimes to slow down and, and, and really make the table a priority. You know, as, as, as a, a Jewish family would sit down together, I mean, the Sabbath dinner could be a couple of hours easy. And so I, I'm not saying that it's not tough. I'm not saying that it's, it's not hard and our work schedules we have to work around. I get all of that, but I'm saying we gotta figure this out. We gotta rediscover this, this, this discipline of fellowship, of sharing in meals and, and learning how in a fast-paced culture to enjoy a slow-paced meal. I love what N.T. Wright says. N.T. Wright says it this way, that when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory he gave them a meal. I mean, think about this for a moment. The greatest news in all of history, the, 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 be the beauty and the brutality of the cross, when Jesus was giving his disciples the breakdown, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. And I think Matthew helps us understand this moment a little bit more. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, it says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take and eat for this is my body. I, again, we see this, this, this beautiful narrative woven all throughout the entire New Testament, this, this blessing, this breaking and this giving, the, the Lord blessing us, the Lord breaking us, right? The Lord transforming us and, and shaping us and molding us and then giving our lives away to the world. I love how Eugene Peterson says it. He says it this way. He says that he has observed that this pattern of being blessed, broken, and given is at the heart of the Christian story. There he rightly insists that this is the shape of the Eucharist. This is the shape of the gospel. This is the shape of the Christian life. 
And so we don't have time to break down all of these, but if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. I want to talk to you a little bit about the table is a place for blessing. You know, I go back throughout my life and I think about all of the special moments at the table. Special moments. I remember uh, sitting my in-laws down. It was at Fuzio's in Dublin. Some of you guys remember that. In Hacienda Crossing, there was a little restaurant called Fuzio's. Great pad thai, super good. And I remember sitting my in-laws down and I was nervous. We sat at the table and I was getting ready to ask for their daughter's hand in marriage. And how many of you guys know I paid for the bill? Can I just give you gentlemen a a little bit of a, a hint? If you are going to ask for your girlfriend's hand in marriage, if you're going to talk to their parents and you take them out to the dinner, to dinner, you better make sure you bring your wallet to the table. And I just remember that moment as they said yes, and I was so excited. And then fast forward, we're at the Carneros Inn uh, in Napa. Now, this was where I proposed to my wife. We did not get a room there because we weren't married. Just let me make that clear. But there was a beautiful apple orchard that overlooked the vineyards. And the Carneros Inn, they, they prepared such a great spread. They went out and purchased all of my wife's favorite food. And we laid out the red and white checkered blanket and the umbrella. And it was a beautiful day. And they brought out all of the food on silver platters. And it was sandwiches. It was, it was some simple things. But then the, the dessert came out and it was just these cookies with pink frosting and in the middle was the ring. Come on, fellas, you should be taking notes right now. And I hope my wife is listening, <laughs> babe. Remember the table. Uh, it was a special moment. And so we just go back throughout our life and, and we remember these moments. Now, now, my wife and I, we love to go on date nights. And, and there's this one particular spot that we always go to. In fact, we went there last week. And uh, we, we love this place because we're able to color on the table. Yeah, we're like big kids. We like to color on the table. Um, they give us some crayons, and it's one of those tablecloths that you can ride on, and they throw away afterwards. But this is the table that where we cast vision for our home. This, this was the table that we began to invite the Lord in to ask about having kids and, and, and what, what does he want our future to look like? This is the, the table where we begin to write down some of our values and the mission for our home. Come on, we have missions for our churches, we have missions for our companies, but we need missions for our homes. And so we wrote down our mission statement. It was at the table that God began to shape us as we invited him in. He began to shape us, he began to form us, he began to, to bring some substance to our family. And now my wife and I, we've been married 15 years. Uh, We've been together 20. We've been in ministry for 15 years. And it was so funny because recently the Lord encouraged us to take over our young adult small group. And we didn't, we weren't really sure why, but but we found out really quickly uh, what the purpose was. And and so they they would come to our house and I just realized that, man, these young adults are coming from all over the world, right? They're coming from different countries. They're coming from different states. Many of them are single. They're away from home. And so as we were getting ready to launch this small group, I had this thought. I said, man, why don't we just sit at the table and eat together? And so, so we would just sit, sit at the table. We, we, we would invite them to come to our home and, and you could see there was nothing magnificent about the table because it's not in the magnificence. We had paper plates and we had some, you know, some cheap utensils, but it's not about the magnificence of the table. It's about the purpose of it. And so we would go through the little video questions and we would dialogue around the table. We would wrestle around the scriptures. We would go on rabbit trails and it was just such an enjoyable time. Now, now, if you're listening to me right now and you're already thinking like, man, I had some bad memories at the table. Man, I hated the table growing up. I just wanted to be in my room the whole time. I never wanted to sit down with my family or friends or, or you, just, you just had a bad experience. Can I just tell you that the future potential of the table does not have to look like that? 
Like, like there's something so special about eating, conversating, right? People starting to get engaged that normally wouldn't get engaged. Like they're, they're really shy. And then a few weeks in, they're eating and they're talking and they're wrestling around scripture. And just a beautiful thing, drinking soda, right? Um, and we're just having such a fun time. And I think the ancient culture, as we look in scripture, the ancients got this. But I'm afraid that in our time, we have the potential to lose out and miss out on this beautiful reality. In fact, I love how the psalmist says it. The psalmist says, you cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for the people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin and bread to give them strength. Like, like don't you see it? How, how God goes above and beyond that food is not just about fuel, that God is not just about giving you what you need. God is for your joy. God is not about your misery. Listen, if you thought God was for your misery, you've been totally mistaken. God is for your joy. And, and the table is an opportunity not just to get your stomach filled, but it's an opportunity for joy. I, I love verse two of Psalm 104. I'm not gonna take you there, but I'm just gonna break it down for you. The Lord says that, that, that he, he stretches out the heavens like a tent. He says that he formed the foundations of the earth, the very crust of the earth, the mountains are in his hands. And in between all of this, in between Mount Everest and the Grand Canyon, the galaxies, the Lord puts a plate and he talks about this beautiful mystery of food that he allows to be produced for, for not only fuel for our bodies, but for our joy. I mean, just look at that. Uh, wine to make them glad, olive oil, to soothe their skin, bread to give them strength. Look at the extra mile in that. God is so intentional. And it's, it's way more than just, just fuel. I mean, think about this. God gave us 10,000 taste buds. <laughs> like, why would God do that if it was only for fuel? No, it was for joy. It was for conversation. It was that your body would be fueled. Relationships would be, would be built and that your joy would be complete. And if I'm honest, I just think I miss this sometimes. Like, I think it's so easy to, to eat real quick. You just kind of eat real fast and you forget about the one who allowed this to be produced. Like, like eating a great meal has the potential to move us to a place of worship, to provoke us, to give God glory, to move us to a place to say, God, thank you for all that you've done. And I just think it's so easy to miss this. And, and don't get me wrong. I think it's easy because of fast food, but I love fast food. I love to eat fast food. I love In-N-Out. I love Chick-fil-A. Um, I love some of those. I don't like McDonald's, but if you like McDonald's, no judgment. I, I get it. But, but there, there's, there's something so beautiful when something is made from scratch and you see all of the ingredients go in, all of the spices, all of the different aspects that it causes you to say, man, God, you are amazing. So that when you bite into that steak, it's not just this is a good steak. That's as much as the world gets. The world just simply gets, that was a great steak. But for us, we're like, thank you, God. Like the steak was amazing, but Lord, thank you for bringing cattle, right? Thank you for speaking into existence. And if you're a vegetarian, listen, the cows are praising God for your grass and your vegetables. I'm just telling you, listen, food and the table is an opportunity to give God glory. I mean, think about how that changes feeding the hungry. That we're just not feeding the hungry so that, that they can get filled, but it's an opportunity for them to see the goodness of God towards their life, the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of how God 
sees them, how God is intentional towards them and how he cares about their joy. But, but I know I, it's hard, I, I think, because life is fast and there's so much going on and we can be at the table and not present because we got a lot of things on our mind. I think we're, we're busy quite a bit. And I think there's just some fear as well that keep us from engaging because the table can also be a little bit vulnerable. But I, I think we can't miss this. And, and Jesus helps us out in the gospel of Luke. It says this, let me kind of set the, the tone for you. Jesus has been preaching um, well into now the evening hours. It's getting late. There's about 5,000 men, not in, including women and children. And the disciples are getting a little bit concerned. They says, as, as the day neared its end, the 12 came to Jesus and said, dismiss the crowd so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside for lodging and for food. For we are in a desolate place here. See, the disciples are looking at the situation and they're like, man, we got nothing to offer. And I think sometimes when we think about hosting at the table or we think about a small group, we think about a dinner party, it can be a little intimidating because we're like, I don't know if I want to show up to one. I don't know if I want to host one. Like maybe I don't know people and maybe I, I don't have anything to offer. And sometimes we see desolation and God sees invitation. Like we see we have nothing to offer and God's like, no, there's so much opportunity. And he continues to say, he says, but Jesus told them, you, get, you give them something to eat. And they said, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered, unless we go and buy food for all of these people. Like, are you serious? This is going to be an expensive small group, Jesus. Like, this is going to cost us a lot of money. And it continues, and, and Jesus said to them, but he said to his disciples, he said, have them sit down in groups, huh, of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. I love that. See, Jesus was all about small groups. He said, have them sit in groups. He was all about dinner parties. Have them sit in groups. Have them, have them sit down, and they did. And sometimes the good shepherd has to make us lie down, as the psalmist says. He has to make us lie down in green pastures because we don't want to lie down. Sheep don't want to lie down all the time. But, but I think sometimes we're moving so fast that we're not able to receive. We're not able to sit long enough to receive what God has for us. You see, there, there's something about a posture of sitting that prepares us to receive. Now, I'm not saying God can't speak to you on the go, but sometimes what God has for us can only be found in a posture of rest. Sometimes what God has for us can only be found when we take a seat. And I know that, you know, God speaks in a lot of different ways to a lot of different people. And, and so, man, you know how God speaks to you. But let me tell you how God speaks to me. You know, you may think that because I'm a pastor that I go into this room and there's candles lit and the glory of God comes down. And, and there's just like, like it's an ambient Starbucks in my closet or something, right? But that, that's not how God speaks to me. God speaks to me in the twilight, right in between my sleep, like when I'm, I'm either waking up and I'm kind of still asleep or I'm going to bed and I'm kind of in that twilight in between sleep and being awake because God knows that's where I'm at my stillest. And some of my greatest messages, some of my greatest revelations have come as I'm lying in bed in that twilight because God knows that's where he can get my attention because I'm, I'm in a posture of sitting. I'm in a posture of rest. I'm able to receive because my mind is settled and my, my, my ears are in tuned to his voice. And so, so I just think that, you know, God knows who I am. God knows who, how, who you are. He may speak to you totally different, but I think there is something to say 
about taking a seat. Because many of us, we like to eat standing up. Like we stand up, right? And we walk around and they're like, hey, why don't you take a seat? Why don't you just sit down? They're like, no, I'm good. I'm totally good. How you doing? Are you, everybody? Hey, hey, why don't you sit down? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I just, just I've been sitting down all day. And, and that's cool. I sit down and eat sometimes. I do. But if that's the posture of our life all the time, we might be missing out on something. I think sometimes, you know, it's hard to receive when we're emotion. Like, like we want God to, to pass the baton to us, right? Like, hey, God, I got a lot of stuff to do. Can you just pass me the baton? And God's like, no, take a seat. I want you to sit down. I have something for you. And he invites us to be still. He invites us to sit, to sit down. Because I think it's in a posture of sitting that we're able to receive. He invites us into a posture of rest that we're able to, to remember, a quiet time where we can focus and just be like, man, God, what are you saying? A time to reflect, a time to, to, to talk, a time to wrestle through the, through the scriptures. Are you guys tracking with me on this? And so Jesus continues and, and he says, in taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, a blessing over them. Here we go, a beautiful tapestry, this beautiful pattern. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the, the disciples to set before the crowd. Can I just tell you, the table was set, the blessing, the breaking, and the giving. And it says, and they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up and the 12 baskets, there were 12 baskets of broken pieces. In other words, the table is set and there's always more than enough. There's leftovers. I love what God told David. David said, listen, David, your cup is gonna overflow. Ladies and gentlemen, Mission Church, I, I pray that people, your cup would be so full that people would drink from your saucer, that they would be able to drink from your overflow. Because God is a God of the leftovers. God wants us to serve him from a place of overflow. God wants us to serve him from a place of rest. And some of you guys are like, man, I just... I just don't have time to, for the table. I can't imagine even making it through the day. My life is so crazy. There's so many demands. There's so many things to get done. And there's a lot of complexities. And I know so many complexities. There's so many uncertainties, so many reasons for us not to sit. And Jesus invites us. He invites us into this moment to sit down at the table. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. He invites us to give him what we have and take a seat. That's what the disciples did. They simply gave him the little that they had and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it and there was enough. See, some of you today just need to come to the Lord, to his table. Can I tell you there's room for you? There's room for you at his table. Everybody gets a seat. God has space for your mess. Listen, can I just tell you, you can, make, you can make a mess and bring your mess to the table. I know you may have been told your whole life, like I told, like I was told my whole life, you don't make a mess at the table. And, and maybe you've been told that, man, I, I'm, I'm afraid to talk about things. I'm afraid to bring my mess to the table. But the Lord says, there's a seat for you and you can bring your mess. You can bring the little that you have. Some of you today need to say, Lord, this is all I got of my marriage. And I'm giving it to you. Lord, as a single, I, I've been wrestling. I've been longing and dreaming for the day that I would find this guy and I'm losing my way. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm wrestling through things. God, here is my life. Some of you guys are like, Lord, this is all I have left of my finances. 
This is all I have left in my, in my soul. Some of you guys may be wrestling with depression. You're like, God, I just have a little bit of joy left. I'm barely hanging on. Just, just bring it to the table. Just bring it to his table. You see, there's something about when we're hungry and we need food. It's also a reminder, not just that our stomachs need to be filled, but it's a reminder of our dependency on God. You remember in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord says, um, this is how you should pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Right, it's, it's, just, it's a reminder of, of, of our dependence upon the Lord. And I know some of us are moving so fast, but it's at the table, it's at his table that you can hear clearly. It's that you're able to reflect deeply and, and you're able to have a time of communion. You know, I, I, was, I was convicted on how little I take communion with my family. Like we take communion with our church, but I, I was so convicted that, man, I don't take communion a lot with my family. And I know it's kind of crazy because my kids are running around. And, and I was watching them one day and I thought, they are running around the table. I thought, man, that's exactly what I do at God's table. I just run around. He's trying to get my attention. He's trying to speak to me, but I got no time to sit. I'm like, man, we've kind of set that pace for our kids. And so we've just made it regular, not legalistic, but just a regular time that we sit with our family and we, we have communion. You're like, well, maybe I'm, I don't have a family or my family's not here. Listen, get connected to a small group. You have a church family who loves and cares for you deeply. And just make this a regular part of your life. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but also to fellowship, to koinonia. What's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. So I just wonder what God will create if we take time to take a seat. I wonder what miracles would happen. I wonder what multiplication will happen in our life, in our church, in our communities. I wonder what type of healing would happen. You know, we've been in, in this time, not only of COVID, but there's been a lot of racial tension and the need for reform and reconciliation. What a beautiful opportunity as things start to open up a little bit. You know, the table doesn't have to look physically. It can look like a Zoom table. But what a beautiful opportunity we have right now to sit around the table of people of, of different colors and races and cultures and learn from each other, sharpen one another, sh gather around the scriptures, encourage one another. What a beautiful opportunity that we have. The table is a place of healing. I wonder what type of healing God wants to do. I wonder what innovation is going to come as Mission Church gathers in small groups around the table. I, I, I wonder how God is gonna shape, how God is gonna form. I, I wonder what's gonna happen. But can I just tell you this? It starts with Jesus. It, it starts with taking what we have and letting it pass through his hands. Taking our life and letting our life pass through his hands that he might bless us, that he might break us, and that he might give us away to the world. You know, let me, let me close with this. There, there's this passage of scripture found in James chapter five. And I feel like this, this, is, this is a word for somebody today. James chapter five. And at the end of James chapter five, there's a verse and James tells us, he says, listen, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. Not forgiven because that's between you and God. But he says, so that you might be healed. Like, like there's this beautiful thing that happens in Christ-centered community when we can be honest, when we can be open. Can I just tell you, the table is an opportunity for vulnerability. Now, you don't want to be vulnerable at every table, but you need at least one table where you can be vulnerable, where you can open up your life, share your struggles, share some of your pain. And this is, this is what happens, is, is God said there's healing that takes place in that. 
I love how Dr. Henry Cloud says it. He says that many of us walk around divided relationally. We walk around with the divide in our heart because we're struggling with stuff, but we're so afraid of being rejected. We're so afraid that if people really knew who we are, what we're struggling with, that they would reject us, that they would you know, put us on the out, that they wouldn't wanna uh, be friends with us anymore, that they wouldn't like us anymore. And so we just live in this divide where James is saying, no, 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 listen, the table provides an opportunity for vulnerability that you can confess your sins to one another. And what ends up happening is this, is that you find out, Mission Church, that your church community is for you, that they wanna see God's very best in your life. All of a sudden, you don't get rejected like you thought. All of a sudden, you get embraced and you're loved and they, they speak truth over your life. They approach you with grace and they wanna see God's best in your life. Dr. Henry Cloud says, in that moment, what happens is the divide is healed and you're made whole. And so can I just encourage you to find a table where you can be vulnerable. And my prayer is that you would never see the table the same. As you walk into a restaurant, as you start to walk into restaurants, it's outside the restaurant, whatever it is right now. As you look in your homes, that you would invite people to the table, neighbors, friends, even strangers, that God would bless, that God would break, and that God would give. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that you'd seal this word in our hearts. Lord, I thank you for Mission Church. God, I thank you for the miracle that you're doing in this church. And I just pray right now in Jesus' name for everyone listening, Lord, I don't know where they're at. I don't know what's happening inside of their hearts, but you do. And for some, they need to take a seat at your table. They need to know that there is an invitation for them. That, Lord, that you have a spot for them. You have time for them. You have space for them. And so listen, if you've never trusted Jesus as your savior, can I just tell you that God has made room for you. The cross is big enough for you. And there's an invitation for you today. And if you say, Pastor Matt, I, you know, I, I, I'm not really too sure and you've kind of been doing your own thing and it's not working and, and maybe you, you've been really restless in a lot of areas, maybe you've been struggling, um, and, but you just know that God is speaking to your heart right now and you're just like, man, I need to come home. Would you just pray this prayer with me? It's a simple prayer. It's a commitment prayer. And uh, listen, I, I want to encourage you. After you pray this prayer, we, we want to follow up with you and we want to get you connected to a small group, get you connected in community. But if you need to trust Jesus as your Savior, would you pray this with me right now? Just say, Lord Jesus, Lord, today I surrender. Thank you for dying on the cross that I would have a seat, that I would be forgiven, that I would be healed, that I would be restored. I confess my sin to you today. I'm turning from my way, changing my mind, and I'm turning to you to do what only you can do in my heart. I surrender to you, and I confess you as my Lord and as my Savior. Lord, I thank you that you rose from the dead, that you are the God who's able to give me life, true life, real life. Lord, fill my heart, renew my mind, and give me a hunger for you, the bread of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. 
If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.